Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. This is WSBT's Community Update on 96.1 WSBT. Good morning, I'm John Hoffman. A look at the latest now on the coronavirus pandemic as more and more people get vaccinated. From WSBT 22's First in the Morning this past Monday, St. Joseph County Deputy Health Officer Dr. Mark Fox with Bob Montgomery. Could be a good, a big week. In fact, uh, Pfizer could get its emergency use authorization for kids 12 to 15 years old. Any concerns that either it uh, won't happen or once it does happen that the kids might not get it? I feel pretty confident that it's going to happen. The efficacy data is, is great. The safety data is good. So, so I don't see any reason that it wouldn't get the emergency use authorization. And I think it will mirror very closely what we've seen with adults. There's you know, a big cohort of people who are really eager to get it and they'll, they'll rush out and, and get appointments almost as soon as it's available. But it's going to take some work to persuade the parents who have been reluctant to get it for themselves to convince them that both they and their kids should get it. Yeah, what, what do you tell the parents, even, even the ones if they've gotten it themselves, but they might be a little bit leery about their children with the thought process of, well, kids are lower risk, they generally don't get serious cases to begin with. What do you tell those parents who are skeptical about the lower risk end of the, the, the whole story about COVID? It's a fair question. Kids clearly are at lower risk of, of serious consequences. And yet we do see kids with bad consequences from COVID. So if we can prevent that, and we've seen no serious side effects um, from Pfizer to speak of. And so I think that trade-off is good, but also the protection it provides for everyone else in the classroom and the school, protecting the teachers and the staff as well. It, it certainly makes schools a much safer place to be if both the children and the, and the adults in the building are vaccinated. There was a headline late last week about Pfizer asking for permanent approval away from its emergency use authorization. Does that have any real world application to most people? No, I, for most people it, it makes no difference. It may um, kind of embolden some employers to say, now that it's fully authorized, then we're gonna require it. Um, that's, you know, a lot of employers have been hesitant because of the language of the emergency use authorization. That's the one practical implication it could have for people. I have heard of, from a couple of nursing friends about the number of COVID patients in the hospital, and it's not overwhelming like we've seen earlier, but it's different from what we saw early in the pandemic, and now it's mostly younger people, and for the most part, unvaccinated people, uh, almost exclusively, not 100%. Is that A, what you're hearing, and B, what's the impact of that in the hospital and its day-to-day -day operations? We already know there's a nursing shortage, and those who are there are having to concentrate on people who chose not to get the vaccine. Clearly, there's been a shift in the demographics for patients in the hospital with COVID. So they tend to be younger, um, on average about 10 years younger. And as you said, virtually all of them are unvaccinated for whatever reason. Um, the impact of the nursing shortage we're seeing really across the spectrum. We don't have enough nurses to staff outpatient clinic facilities, vaccination sites. Um, they get diverted into the inpatient setting. 
there may not be enough nurses really to staff all the beds that a hospital is licensed to operate. And so the hospitals have intermittently had to be on diversion and send patients out of our community to receive care. Okay. Wanted to ask you a question that I get regularly and I don't really have a good answer. And that is, if you're fully vaccinated and you're outside, is there any reason ever to have to wear a mask when you're in an outside scenario? And especially if you're with other people who are vaccinated, uh, is, it, is it a scientific medical reason why you're still being told to wear a mask outside? Or is it a public perception reason, kind of like keep the culture going? I think the public perception is important. I do think there are some settings outside where there probably is benefit to wearing a mask. Um, depending on the, the volume of people, and how big a space you're in. So, you know, if you're at a, soft, a kid's softball game or soccer game and people are kind of spaced out, in open air, the aerosols dissipate very quickly is not a problem. If you're at a party, you know, a wedding reception outside with several hundred people who are talking and eating and drinking and they're oriented towards one another, um, but it's a large crowd and you don't know who all is vaccinated there, there can be benefit there. So. Part of it has to do with what direction you're facing and the kind of interaction that you're having that changes those dynamics. Yeah, we do have another national holiday coming up, and every national holiday we've had up to this point, there's been a concern among epidemiologists and public health officers about the impact of all the gatherings. Do you have that same feeling going into this holiday? It certainly is something for people to be aware of and think about how they interact. But clearly, if you know somewhere between 35 and 50 percent of the crowd are vaccinated, that makes it much safer. Um, and people who are fully vaccinated, I don't want to say they can operate with impunity, but they certainly can be much more comfortable in their interactions. And especially if you're outside. Especially outside. Dr. Mark Fox on WSBT 22's First in the Morning. The Indiana General Assembly overrode Governor Holcomb's veto Monday of a bill spurred by coronavirus restrictions. The bill states that emergency local health orders can't take effect or remain in effect without the approval of the local legislative body. In most Indiana counties, that's the county commissioners. In St. Joseph County, it's the county council. Elkhart County's mask mandate was enacted solely by the health officer, so it would be voided because of this new law. In St. Joseph County, the council did have a say in the mandate because it involved fining businesses. Since they voted on it, the council president says the mandate remains in effect until it expires on May 27th. Republican State Senator Linda Rogers of Granger voted in favor of the bill because she thought people should have more of a say in mandates that affect them and their businesses. Doesn't mean that anybody has done a poor job. I don't think they have but it just allows for a broader voice. Democrat Maureen Bauer blasted the bill as taking away the health department's ability to make swift, life-saving decisions in times of crisis. She said it hinders the health department's efforts and plays politics with people's health care. Rogers said the health department can still use its expertise to inform the council as to what's best. You have to remember people have personal freedoms. So if the commissioners or the county council is overruling, you know, a recommendation by the health department. They're doing it because people have those freedoms. St. Joseph County's deputy health officer called the bill a misguided attack on public health that sets up the possibility for local officials to pick fights with the health department. He says sometimes, even if decisions are unpopular, they're what's best for the health of the community. Unfortunately, I think this dynamic has arisen where people see it as a fight between public health and the economy. 
um, rather than seeing public health as an, an essential foundation for a thriving economy. Before he lifted statewide restrictions, Governor Holcomb said the reason he felt comfortable doing so was because local health officials could still do mandates specific to their counties. LaPorte County also has a mask mandate, which the commissioner president told us was extended to the end of the month. He said once it expires, he would be in favor of a mask advisory, but not a mandate. WSBT 22, Selena Guevara reporting. A local group wants to connect you with amenities in St. Joseph County by streetcar. The proposed six-mile system called River Rail would run from Notre Dame through South Bend to Mishawaka. Advocates say it has the power to transform and revitalize the area. Tucson is a city that has a streetcar system, and here, River Rail task force members I spoke with say that the economic development that's happened in Tucson now amounts to 10 times the initial investment to build it, and they believe that that growth could happen locally. From Notre Dame to the Morris Performing Arts Center, Howard Park, the South Bend Farmers Market, IUSB, River Park, Buter Park to downtown Mishawaka. River Rail Task Force member Lou Pierce says the streetcar system could pull all of those assets together and bring the urban core back to life in just a couple of years. There's a lot of property in our urban areas that's gone underutilized and it's really valuable. Um, something like this can really bring people back. He says once developers know that there's a permanent line in there, they're much more confident in making investments around it. Pierce says Transpo is on board with the idea so far. What Transpo can do is reallocate or adjust their existing bus systems to provide even a better service if the urban core is already taken care of. Pierce says the tracks would be built into already existing right-of-way areas, like here on Mishawaka Avenue. The streetcars would not interfere with parking or bike lanes. And he says the system would be electric, so it would be environmentally friendly. Another task force member, Doug Hunt, says this could be a game changer for the South Bend area. They want to live more in urban settings. They don't necessarily want to have to rely on the car all the time. Not that you won't have a car, but the opportunity to really uh, restore neighborhood strength and vibrancy, uh, I think, is a real opportunity, and we've got a lot to build on here. The next steps for the project are a formal study, then a proposal for city and county officials, and they hope to get that in front of state and federal officials soon so that infrastructure funding from the Biden administration can cover a big portion of the project. But at this point, there's no timeline for when any of that will happen. WSBT 22's Caroline Torrey reporting. After nearly nine years, we're still a long way from a final decision in the South Bend police tapes case, but this week a judge did order the tapes released to the Common Council. The tapes were originally made when a recorded phone line was transferred to a different officer who did not know the line was recorded. The ongoing legal battle is over whether those tapes were legally made and if so, whether they can be made public. The judge ruled that these three police officers who were objecting to the release of the tapes had no right to do so. And because they had no right to do so, there was really nobody left to object to the release of the tapes. So in his order, the judge essentially said that he had to rule in favor of the council by forfeit. The tapes were originally made when a recorded phone line was transferred to a different officer who didn't know the line was being recorded. The tapes have been alleged to contain racist language, talk of illegal activities. And in court last week, the former communications director, Karen DePape, who made the original recordings at former police chief Daryl Poikin's request, testified that those three officers are not on the tapes in question. The open questions still left are whether the tapes were made legally or illegally. And there's also questions about whether once the council has the tapes, if they can legally listen to the tapes or publish them. Now, in his ruling, Judge Stephen Hostetler compared this case that said this case hung over the community like a storm 
SoundCloud is the words he used. He has not heard the tapes himself, but did point out that they were turned over to the FBI and no disciplinary action of any kind has actually come from them. He went on to write, that quote, it seems far from certain that the tapes are the bombshell they have been made out to be. The court strongly encourages everyone involved to once again make a concerted effort to resolve this conflict and lift the cloud that has stubbornly lingered over this community for far too long. Now, in his ruling, he did say that all appeals need to be exhausted before these tapes can actually be released. We did reach out to the lawyer for the officers, and they said they do plan to file an appeal. We have still, as, as of right now, have not heard back from the council legal team. WSBT 22's Max Lewis reporting. We've heard a lot about how the pandemic has affected adults with addictions, but what about their children? A camp to help kids impacted by substance abuse disorders of someone close to them is trying to help more children this year. Camp Mariposa has been doing virtual camps over the past year. Camp Mariposa had one camp in 2020, then everything shut down. This year, there was an in-person day camp last month. Next weekend, an in-person weekend camp is being held, and it will be life-changing. When I think about camp, I get like a kind of happy, nostalgic feeling. Emily Farmer is 16 years old and has wide open plans for life. I want to graduate high school. I'm going to go into a trade. The smart and confident high school junior has been through a lot. Since I was little, my dad has been an alcoholic. Um, he actually started drinking when I was born, so that was really tough on me. And that's how she got involved in Camp Mariposa. They know that everybody there is there for the same reason, because they come from a household that has substance use disorder. Margaret Goldsmith is the coordinator of Camp Mariposa in our area. It's such a valuable program. It's so well designed. It's just, you know, these kids get an opportunity to be kids and just do kid stuff. There are more than 15 camps across the country. The kids do fun camping activities like crafts and games. And they talk about serious topics like addiction and depression. Someone who gr grows up with substance abuse in the household is four times more likely to become an abuser themselves. And we tell the kids that. We say, These, this is what happens. And this is why you're here, because we want to help you develop some coping skills, some strategies to prevent that from happening. 40% of kids at camp are in foster care. All of them leave camp with mentors, new friends, and important life skills. So they need Seven Seas bracelets. They are a really important part of camp. Um, the first three are I didn't cause it, I can't control it, and I can't cure it. But I can make healthy choices um, by taking care of myself, uh, communicating my feelings, and celebrating myself. For kids like Emily, the camp helped her work through emotions and express her feelings. Now she wants to go back as a junior counselor. And with camp about to start back up again, soon she will. It was a really good experience for me. I made a lot of friends there. I learned a lot. Camp Mariposa will hold an in-person camp in August that kids can get signed up for right now. This camp is free. You can go to Oaklawn's website to sign up a child you know could benefit from this camp. WSBT 22's Kristen Bean reporting. The views expressed on WSBT's community update are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the host, WSBT Radio, its staff or management. Join us again next week on Community Updates on the Sports Leader, 96.1 WSBT. 
Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 